We are still in the series, All the Broken Pieces. Uh, we're talking about some really hard things. We've been sharing stories. We've been together. We've been talking about um, anxiety and trauma. We've been talking about mental health. Some really amazing voices and different people have been up here uh, sharing their stories and being really open about just what they've gone through, where God has been at in all of this. Um, and it's, it's a big subject. When we're talking about mental health, right, uh, gosh, there are no quick fixes or easy solutions. I mean, God can do whatever he wants. God does miracles. I wholeheartedly believe that. Um, God can, yeah, yeah. But uh, I know that uh, there's not always a prayer that'll fix all of those issues and all your anxiety right away. It's a season and a process sometimes, but if you call in the name of Jesus, I know he's there with you, and if you call any of us, we will 100% be there with you too for it if you need anything, seriously. Um, this is a big topic, like we said, so we're always bound to leave things out, uh, so give us a little bit of grace with that. Um, yeah, just because the amount of time we have, but here, let's get into the Word. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 1.1. It is a very good place to start. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Jesus, we just love you. Thank you so much for today. Thank you for all that you have for us. Lord God, just be made famous through this word, God. Anything in it that just touch our hearts, anything in it that's not of you, that that's of me, uh, or just not of you, let it fall to the ground before I even say it. Lord, we are here for you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We've, like I said, we've been doing a series, All the Broken Pieces, and I've been sitting right there every week thinking about seeing these images of broken pottery, broken pieces of things, and, and it's all been beautiful, and people have been sharing stories, but we keep saying, all the broken pieces, all the broken pieces, and all I've been able to think about is my Legos when I was a kid this whole time. Um, for Christmas or my birthday, I would get multiple Lego sets sometimes, uh, and I would just dump all of them out at once. Who is surprised by that? <laughs> Who is surprised by that? Um, and there'd be just this huge chaotic mess and I'd follow the instructions and start putting them together, but eventually I'd go rogue and get bored and just start doing my own thing and building my own thing. Who's surprised by that? And I would build crazy ships and fortresses and, and make them fight bad guys and save people from, and they would just be this huge mess everywhere. And like going through my bedroom as a kid, that bedroom specifically as a kid, was like walking through a minefield, and in that chaos, my mom would almost swear when she would step on something. No, she wouldn't. <laughs> when she would step on something, and we all know that pain. <laughs> These are the things that kind of come to my mind with just some of the imagery with this series. Um, I was homeschooled. Who's shocked by that? Uh, this picture was a normal school day for me. This was probably a Monday. I was probably seven or eight, surrounded by my ships sitting there with the only textbook you ever need. That's not true. But it's a good book. It's a very good book, and it's important, and it's the Word of God, and everyone should read it every day. And that brings us to the word we will be focusing on today, um, and that word is shalom. We've been going through different Hebrew, Greek, a few weeks ago, Japanese words dealing with wholeness and mental health issues and trauma and anxiety, and uh, this word really speaks to me. James joked a few weeks ago that when, they, when Courage Church wanted to start a series on joy, they called Drew, and when they wanted to do a series on trauma, they called James. <laughs> well, here I am, <laughs> and uh, 
and what I was specifically asked to do, in, these have been incredibly powerful stories over the last few weeks. It can get a little dour. God's in it and doing amazing things. I was specifically asked to bring some of that joy. So hopefully we can do that here today. Um, shalom is a big word. Shalom is a Hebrew word. Who's surprised by that? We do the Hebrew words all the time. It's a common Hebrew word. I'm guessing you've heard it before. Um, it can be a greeting like, hello, hello, goodbye, goodbye, shalom, shalom. On our way out of here, after, especially after we get into all this, I want everyone to just hello, goodbye each other, shalom, shalom. I think it would just be really cool to see. It's just a fun thing. I want to hear it. Just do it for me even and, and my wife and my mom. Um, it can be a noun uh, or a verb. Simply translated, it means peace, right? That's like our English translation for shalom. Most of the time in the Bible when the word is used, it means peace. Hebrew words aren't usually that simple, though. Um, you can see the letters that make up shalom. And this is modern Hebrew. I know we had done a class before on Thursdays on that early Picto-Hebrew and Hebrew word pictures. It was like the cave paintings that made up each letter and they tell a story. So when you look at this word, it's a word that tells a story. It has more depth to it than what we're seeing. It doesn't simply mean peace. The letters of Shalom tell this story, and you read them from this side to this side, okay? Now, you're going to follow me. I promise this is true. This word, letter far over here is a letter that represents the picture of its, its water, which in the beginning God created the heavens, the earth, the earth was shapeless and void, darkness lay upon the face of the waters. It's what the image is supposed to bring to mind. And it brings to mind water and darkness and chaos, okay? The next letter represents a shepherd's staff or authority. The next letter represents a nail or something being established or built. And it's way more obvious in the picture Hebrew version of it, but that last letter to the far side over here is teeth or something being destroyed or consumed. The story the word tells in pictures can roughly be stated as a picture of destroying the authority that establishes chaos in your life. That's, hold on, the, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom and it means that. That is so much more than what we've ever thought. You know, when I think peace, it's like, oh, there's peacetime and we're not fighting and, and it's the absence of conflict. But peace does that? That doesn't sound like not fighting. A better English translation, honestly, for peace, or for this word, Hebrew word shalom, could better be stated completeness or wholeness. Making something complete, taking scattered pieces and making a complete picture of something, something that's greater than the sum of its parts. It's gathering all the fragments so nothing goes to waste. Shalom is this big idea. Tim Mackey at the Bible Project, we love them. Um, watch their videos, listen to their podcasts. They're very studious gentlemen. And they, uh, they say it this way. They say about shalom that life is complex. It's full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole and it needs to be restored. This is where shalom starts to become a verb. It's putting these pieces together. So shalom can be to make complete or to restore. In Proverbs 16:7, it says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. To reconcile and heal broken relationships is to bring shalom. In the Old Testament, when rival kingdoms made shalom, it didn't just mean that they stopped fighting, but they started working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were commanded to do, and it's something they were supposed to cultivate with neighbors around them. As we can see through, in, read through the Old Testament, didn't necessarily work 
out that way and things went downhill often. That's what happens when you're not making peace with your neighbors. Shalom is a very creative word. That peace is something that has to be created and cultivated. It's a creative act. That first verse we read, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And he said a word, let there be. He was speaking into the darkness, into the chaos, into the authority, and establishing something new, something whole, something beautiful. He was cultivating something. You'll see that more in a bit. But what God wants is this wholeness kind of peace. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, go and make peace. The Prince of Peace asks us to be peacemakers. And he is super creative, and we are to be too. So what does any of this have to do with trauma and anxiety and mental health? In the moments that I know when I'm experiencing anxiety, what I, I'm in conflict with either the outside world or there's a deep inner conflict in myself, something that, and I just want it to go away. I am Mr. Avoid the Pain. I am Mr. Avoid Painful Topics of Conversation. The last thing that I want to do is talk about hard things. And now I'm right up here, so we'll see where this goes. But what I want is the absence of this conflict. I want it to go away. But peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's something being picked up and put together and being made whole. And that takes a work, a creative work. Um, there's a thing we've been saying over the past few weeks. I know that um, Elaine had brought it up. I think Laura had brought it up. Jacob and Dawn have brought it up. Um, we've been saying over the last few weeks that our bodies keep the score. Those external conflicts and those internal conflicts, they can take a toll on our bodies. I was reading something this week, and I, I thought this was a fitting description of that whole trauma, anxiety, our bodies can keep the score thought. Dr. Resma Menachem, in his book, My Grandmother's Hands, Racialized Trauma and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies, he said, Our bodies have a form of knowledge that is different from our cognitive brains. This knowledge, typically experienced as a felt sense of constriction or expansion, pain or ease, energy or numbness, Often this knowledge is stored in our bodies as wordless stories about what is safe and what is dangerous. The body is where we live. It's where we fear, hope, and react. It's where we constrict and relax. And what the body most cares about are safety and survival. When something happens to the body that is too much, too fast, or too soon, it overwhelms the body and can create trauma. Trauma is not primarily an emotional response. It always happens in the body. Trauma is the body's protective response to an event or series of events that the body perceives as potentially dangerous. This perception may be accurate, inaccurate, or entirely imaginary. An embedded trauma response can manifest as fight, flee, or freeze, or as some combination of constriction, pain, fear reactive behaviors, or other sensations and experiences. This is the most important part. This trauma gets stuck in the body and stays stuck there until it is addressed. That's the last thing I want to do, right? A little bit of my story. Seems like everyone who's been up here the last few weeks um, has been sharing a little bit of their trauma and anxieties and stories and testimonies really on, on stage here. And it's been a beautiful, amazing thing. It's opened up conversations and stories and it's given people permission to 
work through those word, those stories that are living in our bodies that we sometimes don't even have words for, what they've done to us, whether it's completely imaginary or completely real, it's, it's getting addressed. And, and I think that doing this over the last few weeks is a part of the process of making shalom. So a bit of my story. In uh, 2014, in early 2014-ish, around this time maybe, um, I have some of the best friends in the world still to this day, and we were a part of a church, and in my life, I had always been in just super healthy, wonderful church communities. Um, my pa- I really am grateful for my parents. I really believe God gave them so much discernment about what community is for us to be in, and in early 2014, my friends and I, we were doing amazing things with youth groups and in this community um, just northwest of here, and one day, the person who was in, uh, heading off all of this part of our community was escorted out of the building by security, and we were basically asked not to come back. This was a family, this church, this group, these people. And when your family tells you not to come back and starts talking about you or saying terrible things about you. That is painful. And so throughout that summer, we, we all stuck together. We, we would meet in farmhouses and have prayer meetings and get together once or twice a week and, or more, baptize people in those farmhouses, near those farmhouses, do some pretty fun things. I'm glad we were together trying to work through it and still seeking God. Um, but to be honest, in that summer of my life, I, I didn't, I couldn't really feel God. I didn't feel like I could listen to worship music. I didn't feel like I could read my Bible really. Just felt distant. But I did have something to look forward to, um, was that at the end of summer, I would get to go to Bible college. I, I had been in Bible college for almost two years, and I would get to go to Bible college in Grand Rapids and be with this group of friends and uh, just lose myself in that, and I wouldn't, yeah, it would would just be a good thing. It was something I was really looking forward to. Um, Just in that August, my car broke down, and some other things were happening in my life, and I was not going to be able to end up in Grand Rapids. And that really, uh, really affected me. I had a really hard time with that. I remember... um, I remember Labor Day 2014, my sister picked, uh, didn't, wasn't, didn't have work that day, and she picked me up because my car was broken down, and we saw a movie or got dinner or something. She drops me back off, and, and it had been getting dark, and, and I'm in the house I was staying at, and my, friend, my closest friends were an hour away at least, some were even further, and I didn't have a way of driving around, and I'm upstairs in the house I'm staying in. I have all this nervous energy, just pacing back and forth. And I just didn't know what to do. I had to go somewhere or take control of something. I needed something, just this stirring in me. So I did what a sane person would do, and I got the rollerblades out of my trunk, and I just booked it however many miles in a direction I had never gone before. Um, I was at 22 in Shaner. I went west two miles and south about two miles. I ended up in downtown Utica. I don't know if anyone has ever been to downtown Utica. I had never been to downtown Utica. It, if at night, with all those lights on, with rollerblades on, rollerblading downhill, it was a dream. It was the coolest thing. I did check the weather. There was a 20% chance of rain, and I figured I would chance it. And I don't know, if, if you're familiar with the area, there's a fountain in the Clinton River, and then there's a tunnel that goes under M59, where Hall Road turns into M59. And it looked like there was a trail in that tunnel, and it was covered in graffiti. And I thought, maybe that's a cool trail. It will send me somewhere cool. I've never been. This is going to be amazing. I found out way later those trail ends at the end of that tunnel. And, but I didn't make it out of the tunnel that night because... As I approached, I noticed there were six people sitting in a circle, and one of them had a guitar, 
And so, like a sane person, I assumed these people are going to stab me. I'm going to die. This is, this is how it ends for me. I am alone. Oh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, but as I approached, I realized, oh, I recognize this guy. I was in a wedding with him. Oh, this girl. I was at a concert with her two weeks ago. What, what is this? And they look up. They're like, oh, my gosh, we're worshiping. Would you like to join us? That's so cool, right? And they, this group of people, they didn't know who I am. I didn't know them well enough for them to really know I, I, I was Christian. Um, but it was so nice of them to include me. And, and just everything that had happened leading up to that night felt like I should open up in this moment. I should let something in. And so I, I sat up against the wall while they were sitting in a circle. And I had my rollerblades on. And there was this moment a few minutes into it. It was getting late. Um, where they were singing a worship song called Let It Rain, Let It Rain, Open the Floodgates of Heaven, Let It Rain. It was one of those very serendipitous moments, total God thing, but I just started laughing out loud when I heard thunder and it just started pouring rain during that chorus, right? Unreal, unreal. Like, if you don't believe me, that's fine. I believe me. But, <laughs> but uh, I just started laughing out loud. It's like, okay. I haven't been able to open up really this summer, but something feels like I'm supposed to be here in this moment. So I let God in. And two of the girls uh, were getting up to leave, and as they were, they said, hey, Drew, before we leave, can we bless you? I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, if anyone ever asks, can we bless you, you say yes, right? That's the most non-threatening thing that someone can do. So I stand up, I have my rollerblades off at this point, and... Um, they're like, hey, Drew, we're going to get in a circle around you. Do you have your phone? Take your phone out. You're going to want to record this. I'm like, you're, bless, okay, I, bless me. You're going to pray for me, right? They're like, well, just trust us. You're going to want to record this. I swear to you, on a hard drive back home, I have a 20-minute recording of this group of people just going around in a circle. They are praying for me, but gosh, like, they were also speaking things over me, and they were saying, like, hey, this is where you've been and God sees you, and this is where you are, and God sees you, and this is where you're going. And there were, I, I'm bawling. At this point in the recording, you can't probably hear past my bawling, and I had just, I'm going to let this in. Um, after that, we hung out all night. After that, there were crazy things that happened. After that, um, we would go back to that tunnel once or twice a week. We would spray graffiti. We would dance. We would sing. We would worship. We would skateboard. And the cops would come, and they would say, we like you guys because you cover up the other graffiti, and you seem like good people. <laughs> and uh, the, all that graffiti is still there. People would walk through the tunnel, and we would get to pray with them. It was a really beautiful thing. Like, people got healed, and people got blessed and prophesied over, and just a really amazing time. I started, these people, my car was broken down. They started picking me up and taking me to church. I was a part of this church community for a few years. It was something I really needed. Um, yeah, it was absolutely a great group, amazing group of friends. I dated one of them. We bought a house, yada, yada, yada. I can't explain how devastating it was to me, though, when it all started falling apart. I felt stuck and left behind. And the church that I had been attending for that that two years started splitting over politics or something. And I couldn't help but think that this was my fault. This couldn't be their fault. This couldn't be their fault. This had to be my fault. It had to be someone's fault. It had to be my fault. There had to be something wrong with me. I had a hard time trusting after that. Trusting myself. Trusting others, trusting God. I knew God was good. I never questioned that. I believe others were good a lot of the time, even still. Um, but I kept thinking, how could I have let this happen? There is something wrong with me. It was traumatic. I felt stuck. Here at Courage, we... There it is. I've had a phrase... I've heard a phrase 
before arrested development. <laughs> a term therapists use for being stuck in emotional development process. I sure felt stuck and I sure could see where something like that applied in the midst of what I was experiencing, which just was a major life disruption. I don't know that I have another word for it. Um, I got bitter, I couldn't get past it, I was stewing, but blaming myself the whole time. I was stewing against myself. It's a weird thing. Um, out of these like negative beliefs I was having about myself, I realized now I was unconsciously agreeing with the ideas that I'm not good enough and I'm, I'm a mistake, just believing these lies. Sometimes I literally couldn't move. Someone from that group and that time would walk by the window at my work and my bosses would have to send me home because I didn't have the energy all of a sudden to move. Yeah, it was, it was physically crippling. It had, I felt like it had to be me that someone had to be to blame for me being stuck and that it had to be me. Courage Church honestly helped me out a lot. It helped me out a lot to get out of that rut, but let me tell you, like even still, it is a decision every day to forgive and to forgive myself and to be unstuck and to get out of bed. Some things in all of those situations weren't addressed for way too long. When they were, it was good. Some of them, I don't know how they would be still now. Yeah, some still haven't been. But what does this have to do with peace? There's this awesome quote, uh, just with Black History Month, I've been doing a lot of studying and research and spending time with stuff like this this month. And um, I thought this was pretty Timely. Martin Luther King Jr. said that true peace is not merely the absence of tension, like I want it to be, <laughs> but it is the presence of justice. At Courage Church, when we talk about justice, we talk about things being made right that were wrong. Sounds a lot like restoring to wholeness and completeness to me. Sounds like we're making shalom. Once again, Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, he said, almost exactly the same thing. He said it this way, it's not just the absence of conflict, this shalom peace, but it's the presence of something so much better in its place. I've forgiven a lot of these people and I still have to every day. I hadn't until the last year, honestly, been able to forgive myself. Um, at one point, uh, to be honest, I, this sounds worse than it is, maybe not, I, at one point, I didn't want to live. I didn't want to die. I didn't want to kill myself or anything like that. I, I just literally didn't want to live. And for some reason, I had this idea fixed in my brain that I don't think I'm going to live to the next tax season. I don't know why that was how I was measuring time. <laughs> But around this time last year, I was able to forgive myself. I didn't want to passively just die. I got to have hard conversations with myself, with God, about what I really want. And they were hard. And it didn't happen with flashes of lightning and a voice from heaven. It wasn't very epic at all. There was just this one moment where it kind of made sense. I had this conversation and I audibly, to mark it, I just audibly said, not even exclaiming it, I just said, I want to live. It was soon after that I got the opportunity to go to Egypt with my now wife. Amazing story there, like it just came together, only God could have done it. I got to experience some really amazing things, some really real life and powerful moments and it just meant the world. It was so life-giving, and it filled me with so much purpose. Um, I had been going to church here all that time, um, throwing parties with my friends for causes. Um, I had relationships in all of that time. I had friendships in all of that time, but I, I couldn't forgive myself, and 
all of those relationships suffered for it, for sure. I know I wasn't giving my all in those moments. Um, as Christians, as people in this world, we have a mandate. Uh, we talk about this a lot at Courage. Um, Jesus talked about it too. A few weeks ago, we talked about the words tikkun alam, to repair the world, is what that means. Follow me. Um, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. These are our mandates. These are our jobs. Paul said that we have been given the job of reconciliation and not counting the world's sin against them, but reconciling them to God. That all sounds like peacemaking to me. But I don't think I could have done any of those things until I had made decisions and had hard conversations with myself and forgave myself and cast off lies I was believing about myself. I don't think that would ever happen until we understand, honestly, how God sees us, really, and how God sees the world, really, and sees others, really, and, and we see those things the same way, through the way God sees them. So who does God say that we are. Who does God say that we are? This is the truth. God says that we are image bearers. God says that we are beloved by him. God says we are chosen by him. God calls us sons and daughters. That's the lens that God sees us through. Who does God say that others are? God says that they are image bearers. God says that they are beloved by God. God says, God chooses them, and God calls them sons and daughters. And how does God see the world? We read in Genesis 1-1. He loves it. He called it good. It bears his image. That is good news right there, all of that. That is very, very good news. If we believed it was that good of news, we'd be telling everybody and living a life that bears witness to that truth. And, and the reason a lot of us don't is that we don't understand how God sees us or how God sees them or sees the world. We have all these stories living in our bodies that we don't have words for. Some of it's anxiety, some of it's trauma, but it messes with that vision. Jesus gave a great commandment, and he summed the Ten Commandments, and he summed the 600-something laws in the Old Testament into these few, right? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and he said, love your neighbor as yourself. But we, we do, but a lot of us don't love ourselves, and it's reflected in how we treat others. Um, we project onto our neighbor often what we feel about ourselves. It's, it's fear-based a lot of time. It's shame-based a lot of time. I know that's what I was experiencing. It was a storm of anxiety. But if you're comfortable in who you are in Christ, if you know how God sees you in the world and them, it just, this will flow out of you, this shalom kind of peacemaking that's greater than the absence of conflict. A lot of us love God with our heart and our soul and our mind. But it's a broken heart and a wounded soul and a tormented mind oftentimes. When we love God out of an internal brokenness, then how we see God is going to be through the lens of that brokenness and how we see God seeing us is going to be out of that lens of that shame and that fear and that anxiety. And it's the circle. It's going to perpetuate. It's how you see me I seeing you, seeing me seeing you. It just bounces back and forth. So how do we get to a place of this inner shalom and this outward shalom and this shalom for the world? First of all, I, I want to say come to God himself in community or alone. Um, just be with him. Ask God, how do you see me? He's good. I believe he'll answer. He'll bring healing to broken places. 
just knowing how God sees us, out of that, we'll see the whole world in a very different way. It'll become the outflow of who we are. And, and like Christ, we can become something. I've been fascinated by this word for the last few months. We can become something that I've been hearing called the non-anxious presence. The older we get, the more I appreciate these in my life. I turned 29. I know that's not that old. But I'm, I get tired a little more easily now sometimes. And I sure appreciate people in my life that I could describe this way. My wife is often this. Spencer is often this. Other people in this congregation, Chris Hooten, oh my goodness, are often what I would call a non-anxious presence. This is the person who's unfazed because that inner shalom is just flowing out of them and they're just basking and resting in it. It seems like they know they don't have to do a thing. Whether that's true on the inside or out, this is what they are to me. You can, I can dump whatever on them, say the most ridiculous thing, and just unfazed. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> but when this person, with that outflow of knowing who they are in Christ, walks into a room, remember that shalom word picture? When that person walks into a room, the authority that has established chaos is disrupted and or destroyed because something new has entered the room, something that destroys that authority. And that thing is that shalom, creative peace. Peace, no matter how much I want it to be the absence of conflict, it's not. Peace can be disruptive. God wants us to be whole, but that's going to disrupt some things in our lives, some places we've given authority in our lives internally or externally that cause this chaos in our lives. God wants us to be whole, and from that good ground, he wants to make a better world, but that won't be absent of conflict either. Peace interrupts the authority establishing chaos, like Jesus, the Prince of Peace, a creative, non-anxious presence. But how disruptive was he when he came into the world, when he came into the city on a donkey? He was so disruptive to the powers of this world that they said, we can't have this guy coming in on a donkey like this. We can't have him doing the things he's doing. We have to kill this guy. If I could have Nate come up. In <laughs> my favorite band is U2. And it would be, I would be, it wouldn't be a Drew, a day where Drew is talking if I didn't find an excuse to talk about U2, honestly. <laughs> in, um, in 1993, this is an amazing story, U2 was on a world tour where they basically carried a TV station around with them and were able to broadcast to the people in the stadium they were playing with from all these parts of the world that were experiencing trauma, that were experiencing conflict. And people were able to ask for help. And this 100,000 people they were playing in front of would all of a sudden be connected to people who were asking for help. And you can't just stand there and not do anything when someone in a war zone is asking you face to face, please help us. They connected with the city of Sarajevo in Bosnia one night and during a shelling. There was a civil war going on at that time. The person who connected them had to literally run through a sniper's alley to get to the TV station to connect to the satellites so that you too could show these people, hey, this is what's happening. This is the injustice that's happening in the world in Bosnia right now. This is the conflict. People, there was a racial genocide involved. It was a terrible situation. The UN wouldn't let people go into that country anymore at one point. 
But Bono looks up at the screen and he says, I promise you we're going to come. I promise you we're going to come. And it's very unfortunate that it wasn't until, I believe it was God's timing, that it wasn't until five years later, it was 1998, when the UN said that they would let them enter that country and that they would give, be able to give a performance. They were going to be able to set up their rock stage with the biggest screen in the world at that time in 1998. It was stunning. It was crazy. And the war, was, had, the war had settled down enough that they would be allowed into the country, but the conflict was still going on. There's a civil war. People were still killing each other in the streets. When the band members were asked about it, they heard bombs that night walking into the stadium. But when they walked into the stadium, there were people from both sides of the civil conflict standing in that stadium that night. There were 45,000 people in Sarajevo that night, or yeah, in Sarajevo that night. And there were 10,000 at the gate. And Bono said, without tickets, and Bono said, let them in. This is important. So they played their songs. I don't know how familiar you are, but they, think about this. A group of people who were just killing each other were now singing in the name of love. A group of people who were just killing each other were singing one. I didn't even tell you the worst part. The stadium during the war was the grave. They ran out of places to bury the bodies, and they buried the bodies in this Olympic stadium in Kosovo. So now they're standing on a mass grave, though, singing both sides of the conflict. People were killing each other recently, singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, singing this, where the streets have no name. The next morning, the papers read, the siege at Sarajevo has ended. <laughs> In interviews, people were saying that um, it wasn't about you too, but in all this time, they had felt so separated and excluded from the world. And it's just the feeling of getting to be part of the world again. People were united by a creative, disruptive act of shalom that brought completeness, it brought wholeness. Peacemakers came that day. It, they participated in a creative act. I believe that in Genesis 1-1, that first word that was spoken over creation, let there be light, that was a shalom word. That was a creative word. That was a creative, disruptive act. It brought trauma to the darkness. It, and from the broken pieces, something was made, something beautiful, something that life could be cultivated from. I believe that in this story, they were participating in that creative word, that creative act, that act of shalom, bringing completeness and bringing wholeness. God was there, surrounded by chaos, and he spoke a word and ordered something unimaginable to anyone else but himself into being. Sometimes peacemakers are alone, but they're powerful. They can be powerful. We talked about peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of justice. It's things being made right. Me saying that day, about a year or so ago now, I want to live. I want to live. That was the presence of something better in its place. That was the, the, the resolution to my conflict. That, those were powerful words. Those were powerful words. I don't know where you're at today, but if you need to say it, I want to live. There's a powerful thing. That was my starting point. It was disruptive turning point for me on my road to Shalom. Another story. In Mark, you have the story, um, they're on a boat. <laughs> Jesus is with his disciples on a boat. It says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. 
and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm, and he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So these people are on a boat in chaotic waters, and the Son of God is in that boat with him. God himself is on this boat with them. Sound familiar? God is there amidst the chaos waters. And he speaks a creative word that changes things. He's not phased by it. In fact, it says he was sleeping comfortably on a cushion. The amplified version specifies that it's a leather cushion, in case you were wondering. It sounds nice. But he was not phased by it. In the chaotic situations and stress and anxiety of your life, Jesus is on your boat. And we want to be on that boat with you too, but Jesus, we'll get there, but Jesus isn't phased by the chaos of the storm or whatever you're facing, whatever you're in. And he speaks a better word in it, a word that's creative and disruptive. And it's a better word than the ones that we believe about the storm. He's making shalom. Invite him in. Just know that he's good. Know that he is there on your boat, unfazed, sleeping on a cushion. So we have the table here in front of us. The table is where peace is made, right? The table is where things are resolved. The table is where life happens. It's where family happens. Sounds like shalom to me. And in a minute, we're going to come up one by one and with our, each other. We're going to line up and we're going to take part in this. Just, just ask yourself even, what have we given authority to to establish chaos in our world, in our lives? What's preventing us from seeing God in ourselves and others as God sees us in all of this? Often we are, we are broken and we are so aware of our brokenness and the brokenness around us. And we know what we've done. We know how we think. And we have this, it fills us sometimes with this sense of unworthiness. Like we don't deserve this. Go to Jesus. Come to the table. Receive his love, receive his grace, receive his mercy. Take off the shame and guilt and put on the righteousness of God. Sit with him and receive his love. Ask him what he really thinks of you. He's a good God. He'll tell you. Um, I've heard it said that people, when people have said, I, I don't know what God sounds like. I don't know how to hear God. Just trust this. God is the first voice you ever heard, and it's the voice you've always known. And he's good, and he will tell you. And hold on to those words of love, of mercy, of grace. And let that word do a work in you. A work that brings transformation from the inside out, that'll be overflowing. That we can be peacemakers, that we can make shalom in ourselves and in the world. Yeah, come to the table. One of the things that really stuck out to me as the uh, key to peace, as Drew was telling us, was about knowing who we are, having a correct vision of who we are in God's eyes, 
reminded me of uh, some of what we were reading in the uh, discipleship school about having a high enough view of God. I want, I want you to do something a little different. Why don't you close your eyes? I want you to imagine like the sun and you're flying towards the sun. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and soon it consumes all of your vision. That's all you can see. Imagine that being God, high and lifted up and majestic. And you're just getting closer and closer and you just dive into the sun. It's not hot. It's like a big pool of orange juice. <laughs> and, and you just soak in that. And let God speak to you. God is that big. God is that encompassing. And let God speak to you now as you soak in that blazing orange and yellow light. Just who he sees you to be. Let God speak to you of his love for you as a child. your view of God be exalted and let your view of who you are in God's eyes be exalted. Father, we thank you that you want wholeness for us. And wholeness comes in your presence. We relinquish all the things that are tearing us apart, all those things that would want to establish authority and chaos in our lives, and we relinquish it into the pool of your eternal and infinite love. And we replace the lies with the truth of who we are in your eyes. Let the echoes of your words Take us through our days and bring us to true life. Amen.